everybody, Patrick Connor here, and welcome to the Knuckles and Gloves podcast. We've got a special kind of history sort of podcast for you today. As you can see, I'm here with my boy, Bryn Jonathan Butler, author, filmmaker, just kind of boxing trainer to the stars, as we all know. Right, Bryn? How you doing, man? I'm doing good. Yeah, Lennox Lewis, Riddick Bowe, something about that 1990s boxing, dude. It's a lot of fun, um, and it's also kind of a special twinge of nostalgia for people right about our age between about 35 and 45 ish uh fond memories of that kind of 1990s heavyweight era and there's a lot of shenanigans a lot of shenanigans so this is just a small slice of those shenanigans from the late 80s kind of moving into the the 90s you know it's i i think it's arguably the greatest fight that didn't happen in the 90s it's a big one it's a big one. I mean, you, you got a handful of other ones. I mean, we talked about Foreman and Tyson in that era, but Bo at his best looked so spectacular in that first fight against Holyfield and sort of like Joshua against Klitschko. We never saw that guy again. He he just disappeared. I guess that's true of Tyson also with Spinks. That guy never came back again, even though he was only 21 years old. So it, you know, if you're going to go resumes, this is not an interesting discussion. This is pretty straightforward. But if you talk stylistically and you talk about them in their primes, then it becomes a lot more interesting. And before we began recording, even looking at the amateur fight that they had in the Olympic gold final, it was a lot more competitive than I remembered it. And and I think even that is going to kind of inform our discussion as Bo got a hell of a lot better than he was back then. Yeah, that's that's what's really interesting about this was um, there was kind of only a fairly small portion of time where they actually were going to fight. And they both did a lot of developing right before our very eyes um, in, in different ways, too. So that's what kind of that's part of what makes this discussion fairly interesting. So, I mean, starting off, both Riddick Bowe and Lennox Lewis, uh, very, very good amateurs. And as we know, when it comes to the heavyweight division, if you have a younger fighter who you think is probably going to be a heavyweight one day, you know, they have the size, the stature, the body type, whatever, uh, or, you know, you see their their dad and their dad's like six, seven, fucking 240 or something, you know, and you're like, well, <laughs> you know, I got something here. Um, They jump, they pounce, they are predators. I mean, sometimes in multiple ways on a lot of younger fighters looking to make them heavyweight champions. Both Riddick Bowe and Lennox Lewis were no exception to that, to the point where Lennox Lewis had even sparred with Mike Tyson when he was fairly young as a teen and uh, got some, of course, according to him, brief sage wisdom from Customato. Um, and so, I mean, Riddick Bowe, similarly, very big name amateur. And both of these guys were groomed for lack of a better word put on the traje trajectory however you want to say it to be heavyweight champions yeah and i kind of love that both of these guys have such sages in their corner in terms of eventually you're going to have emmanuel stewart and lennox's which transforms them into the most optimized version that we ever saw and eddie futch was saying that riddick bow was the most talented fighter that he ever worked with and and i believe he kind of said that he might go down as one of the great heavyweights ever uh, At one he, point he did. Yeah. Probably before he knew better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's another thing we're going to run into here is Lennox really only had one fight. I mean, there's a, there's a couple with, with some issues, but really one fight where he showed up and he wasn't in shape. And that was his last against Vitaly Klitschko. And he still managed to pull that out. I think we've talked about that fight before. Um, I, I kind of think Lennox was getting the better of Klitschko at the end. It wasn't just the cuts that stopped it, even though, to be fair, Klitschko was ahead on the scorecards, and I'm a huge Klitschko fan. Um, but, you know, Le Lennox's discipline throughout his career, both mentally and physically, is one of the things that I think allows him to be discussed as, as maybe the greatest heavyweight ever. By, by a lot of experts, or certainly one of the great heavyweights ever. Certainly never a fan favorite. Um, there was always issues with him there. I mean, he fought for Canada in the Olympics. I was going to ask you about that. I was going to say you need to address that, Brent. As a, as a Canadian, you need to talk about this. Well, it was, it was very frustrating. I mean, I was nine years old when he won the gold, and there was this thought of like, okay, now he just disappeared. 
I mean, he's in Toronto, all his training, all his amateur fights. I mean, these guys' amateur records, the best that I could find, find was Bo was 104 and 18, and Lennox was 85 and 9 as amateurs. So they're real standouts. And Tyson didn't even make the Olympic team because of Henry Tillman uh, defeating him twice in the amateurs. Tyson, Tyson was a very, very good amateur, and I think he was a junior world champion. But it's interesting to think that these guys were the ones who were elevated and rightly so. I mean, they both have huge um, weapons in, in their game. And um, and yet Bo just, it was always a thing about discipline. I think that was raised from the beginning, that he was just a guy that had a, a tremendous amount of ability. But maybe you could see him as kind of like, this is like Shaquille O'Neal versus Kobe Bryant in, in terms of ability to discipline with what Lennox is to to Bo. I don't think Bo is as dominating as Shaq was. I'm not suggesting that, but he was a monster. He, you know, a guy six, six foot five who could punch, who had, you know, just a great kind of mental toughness to come back. Like if somebody was hitting him, he poured it on and he was even better when he was angry or when the chips were down. And that's true in, in the um Olympic fight against Lennox too. He takes some shots, but then he starts trading in a way that's reminiscent of Evander Holyfield. Probably most of the severe brain damage that he suffered is from the Galata fight, but that's another one where if you're not in that mentally, you would have given up years before he did in both of those fights because he takes a savage beating in both of those fights. But then you have the count, not the counterfactual, but the adjacent issue of how easily Lennox Lewis dispensed with Galata. So some of the resume comparisons here of, of, of the same opponents that they fought, I, I think it's useful to discuss how that might inform how their fight would have gone. But then again, you, you just don't know how their styles would have gelled as they got better in the professional ranks. And, and I think both of us are kind of talking about the most likely time when they should have fought was 1993, uh, Halloween of 92. Lewis beats Riddick Bowe, and he's set up to, to have a big championship fight. Two weeks later, Bowe defeats Holyfield and uh, win, wins the title off him in one of the great heavyweight fights in history. That's where everything kind of goes downhill in these two colliding yeah. the way everybody was hoping. So we could talk about that, and we could also talk about that bow versus the best version of Lewis, which I think came a little later with Emmanuel Stewart really refining his game and, and, and just creating this optimized version, which was not, as, as we mentioned, like the most fan-friendly version, just, just as sort of Vladimir Klitschko, that style, once he was working with Stewart, definitely alienated a lot of American fans, but Jesus, it was a formidable thing to contend with that kind of power and patience and size. Yeah, <clears throat> no question. And I mean, I think that we also, like you said, the, the different kind of uh, rates of development that makes, that makes this interesting too. But so going back, you mentioned their amateur record. I guess we could just talk about their amateur fight real quick. Um, some kind of misconceptions regarding it and whatnot. I mean, it's it's it almost seems kind of silly to to go back and score or rewatch a round and a half amateur fight, but it only took a couple minutes, you know. And you just use your eyes; it's not that crazy. It doesn't take a whole lot of analysis or anything like that, in my opinion. And I think that it's actually a much better abridged fight, but a much better fight than I think is kind of remembered by the consensus. Um, so again, it's kind of a weird situation where a lot of people, especially. If you remember boxing in the 90s, Lennox Lewis was a British heavyweight. That was kind of how he was marketed. That's what the confusion was about this, representing Canada in the Olympics and representing Canada. And his accent got a lot more pronounced. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Even though, so, you know, we've had a lot of Canadians, you know, Justin Bieber, Ryan Gosling, they don't sound very Canadian, even though they're from a region that has the more stereotypical Canadian accent, which is not where I'm from. But Gosling sounds like 1950s Brando, like on the waterfront Brando. That is not how they talk on the east coast of Canada. Um, you know, a lot a lot of these guys develop accents because they're embarrassed by a Canadian accent, which um, is understandable because if I slip into anything, a Canadianism, I am instantly mocked since I've been in the U.S. for 14 years. 
it's it is easy to kind of spot or to hear or whatever but it doesn't bother me but i i do hear it a lot i do hear the mockery for sure um but that's definitely kind of strange i think not just for you as a young canadian but for a lot of people at the time who knew him perhaps from the olympics or as an amateur as a canadian then all of a sudden he was getting a fairly heavy push uh with kelly maloney as a Brit. And so that was kind of, and I, and I mean, a lot of, in a lot of ways that was genius because um, I mean, look at him now in retrospect, fairly beloved. A lot of people miss him and it stood out uh, at the time. A lot of people thought it was boring. A lot of people you know, didn't like his personality, et cetera, but it worked for him career wise. And so in any case, like I said, amateur strange Canada, etc. Um, but obviously a big standout along with Riddick Bowe, who was from not far from where Mike Tyson was from uh, in Brooklyn, New York. And so basically, uh, as these two finally meet in the Olympic super heavyweight final in 1988, Riddick Bowe with his massive Jerry Curl fro, you know, yeah. that gets <laughs> and you know, one of the things that really stood out to me as this fight started was just how much uh, muscle Lennox Lewis had packed on in the last few years of his career and how gangly he looked earlier on in his career, not even so much gangly, but light on his feet. He yeah. moved in a totally different way. And that's actually something that Manny, uh, Manuel Stewart just uh, almost eliminated from his game. He got him to be far more patient with his feet. And I think that that also kind of got him into trouble a little bit in this first round, which was, I mean, way better than I remember anyway. I've watched it a few times, but it's been some time. Yeah, I mean, it's like he's trying to dunk on him. The way he's coming out with left hooks, it's just like, I'm viciously going to overpower you. And and at first, Bo is a little bit passive trying to feel him yeah, out. it looks like it's going to work at first. It does, it does. And he, and you're right, he is bigger. I mean, he's he's got a longer reach than Bo. Lewis has an 84-inch reach. Bo is a, it's listed differently, but like 80 inches kind of thing. So that's always weird for big guys that they're, they're more in range than they're used to with, with typical opponents. And at this time, six, five is a little unusual. Um, it, it was sort of the new era of what heavy, what was going to become the standard era. It wasn't quite then. Or, you know, the flip side, which is of course, somebody who's big and then facing somebody bigger. And they're like, wow, I'm really not used to this. You know what I mean? Too. That too. Yeah. I mean, the only other obvious example of people this size was Teofilo Stevenson in the 70s, who was also 6'5", and kind of similar frame in some respects to Lewis. Um, also just that cannon of a, of a right hand. And, yeah, very skilled. And Felix Sabone is around at this time, mm -hmm. too. He's another guy who's 6'4". Um, I, think, I think for a long time he's fighting at 200 pounds, which... Uh, standing next to that man thinking that he was weighing in at 200 pounds is one of the great physical feats that I've ever been witness to in person because his hand was twice the size of my hand. And I mean, we there's video of him. It's not like it's some mystery. Imagining that guy at like the cruiserweight limit now. Holy shit. No, I mean, just, I mean, talking to, to fighters who who've known him from like, who fought him, I should say, Shannon Briggs, uh, Michael Bant, uh they're just kind of like that was one of the rare things in life to to be in the same ring as somebody who was that stopped kind of david tua albeit young david tua but still stopped yeah, him in half a round and and not even a particularly powerful shot like yeah, i mean kind of a check hook yeah yeah, kind of a yeah off balance so so we're just saying it was unusual to have guys six four six five and just naturally walk around at 220 230 uh these guys are obviously gonna get a lot bigger over time, Lewis in a good way, Bo not so much. Bo didn't really have a huge upper body frame or really lower body frame either. He was he was always kind of a little gangly, but clearly a monster puncher and with beautiful punch selection for a guy his size. Uppercuts on the inside as an, a big man fighting on the Very inside. Very surprising combination punching from oh. a guy that size. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of similar to Tyson Fury where it's just people are not used to having somebody that big be that agile. And, and just sort of relaxed and, and can throw in combination, three, four, five punches sort of thing. Bo, Bo had beautiful punch selection and vicious. Like, I mean, like if you'd hit him, he was going to come back with three or four things. And he had a very, very good chin also. I mean, that's another thing when we're um, categorizing these two guys. Lewis, 
I think Lewis had a very good chin also. Lewis fought a lot of big punchers. Ray Mercer, he took some shots even from, from Tyson. Um, Way better chin than he gets, you know, advertised yeah. as having. Well, I mean, watch the, the Vitaly Klitschko fight where he's out of shape and really tired. He's taking some monster shots. Even yeah, the knockouts, those are big shots. You Huge know? shots. Yeah, like, I mean, they would have they put away anybody, the two shots. The McCall, I mean, they're both, and they're both freak shots those are not fights that he yeah, was like losing. full power wound up bang you know like yeah, that's full body not, weight not to no excuse he got caught with him but point is those shots probably knock out most heavyweights yeah and i mean oliver mccall threw that punch like somebody trying to win that the half court shot at a halftime <laughs> show i mean like his eyes were closed he wasn't looking at all where he was going but um but they landed cleanly and and yep. Lewis was making some mistakes defensively. He was not responsible. Um also kind of interesting, I want to point out both these guys in the amateurs lost to Jorge Luis Gonzalez, where <laughs> you're gonna have a really fun match in the pros with Bo. I think at that time Gonzalez was still undefeated, but he was he was touted as this amateur phenom in in league with Stevenson and Sabone and all of that. And he, and he absolutely had an incredible amateur record. He did he not had some very good amateur wins. Yeah. Yeah. Huge, huge. Uh, Lewis lost to Gonzalez as well, but also lost to Terrell Biggs <laughs> in 1984 and lost to Razor Ruddock in the amateurs. So he definitely, I think he avenged both of those in his pro career handily. Um but also, I thought it was interesting. I rewatched Lewis and Frank Bruno, and he had a lot more trouble in that fight than I remembered. Because you know, nobody holds up Frank Bruno as some bastion of, of heavyweight supremacy. I mean, so so it's 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 kind of interesting. Also, Ray Mercer, he really struggled with a lot more than I remembered. Um, so yeah, uh, in this fight, I mean, the first round, I totally agree with you. Lewis just pours it on early uh, in a very uncharacteristic way. I mean, he's just gambling. I'm just going to blow you out. And then Bo starts countering, and he is highly effective. He's also a very accurate puncher with, with this punch selection. He, he lands a lot. And Bo starts landing some of his incredible uppercuts. I love the way he throws uppercuts, too. He gets so much leverage on them even though he's not like a very low lower body guy I, it's just just the torque he gets on them and um lewis begins to look very flustered and by the end of the round looks lethargic so you're sort of like i gave the i gave the first round to bow i don't know about you but in the second round lewis comes out and lewis the way you do see him in the pros when he wants to close the show as he did against ramen as he did against galata big number of people very, very few people have ever been able to stand up to that that kind of onslaught with what he brings to the table. Yeah, I I had very similar notes. I mean, I there's a bit going on in the fight, but what I also noted kind of seemed to change the tide or mess mess around with the momentum a little bit was the referee, dude. <laughs> I mentioned this before we started recording, but you're very familiar with the differences in the amateur system, especially then it, the gap has closed a little bit now between the amateurs and the pros, as far as what the action, you know, the fights actually look like and whatnot. Uh, they used to look a lot more like the pros. And then for a few decades look totally just like something else. And this was during that time period. Uh, referees are very quick to stop fights. They're very quick to take points. They're very quick to jump in. Uh, give warnings, etc. And the referee that was working this fight did a lot of warnings, did a lot of talking, and did a lot of, I guess, I think what Riddick Bow was doing, and this is the kind of thing that I'm talking about, he was ducking, which in the pros is, it, it, man, we've had a lot of discussions in recent weeks with the Usyk fight about like uh, infractions and fouls and regulations and stuff like that. And a lot of the pro regulations come from the amateur game. There, a lot of them are based on like, uh, you know, old, the old NCAA, which doesn't even, I don't even think does boxing anymore, but now the, the amateur system. And in any case, ducking your head below a certain level, even in the pros is a foul. You can't do it. And basically it, the only way to deal with it is if a ref doesn't stop it, it's like it, the, it's a fair target. You duck yeah. your head down that low and you get hit. It, that's your ass and that's your fault. And so in any case here, Riddick Bow was ducking uh, his head down. Was it excessive? 
Tamino, the referee apparently thought it was excessive, started getting on his ass about it. And that, that to me seemed like the catalyst for uh, Bo to, you know, light a fire under his ass and start getting offensive and start attacking Lewis. Like he jumped forward through like a wicked body shot combination. It was like six shots, bam, 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 bam. You know, Lewis was backing up and it was at first Bo looked overwhelmed. Then Lewis started kind of looking overwhelmed. Um, and then at the very end of the round, it almost looked like Bo was either frustrated or tired because the ref jumped in again, uh, you know, threatened to take a point and all this kind of stuff. And then I, I actually did take a point away for a headbutt, or at least that's what the commentator said, but I think it was the lowering of the head. That's what the whole issue was. Got a point taken away, and then Lennox Lewis landed a jab and a right hand right at the bell. Um, I mean, Bo didn't really look hurt so much. It just looked he didn't look quite like he did during that stretch where he was almost kicking Lennox ass for a moment. Yeah. Not quite that far, but he was doing very, very well. Uh, so it looked like Bo kind of had this in hand after the first round. That's what it looked like anyway. Yeah. And then Lewis starts landing these right hands that are clearly, I guess uh, the most generous interpretation would be um, destabilizing Bo but he, he looks badly off balance as a result of these shots. Now, to be fair, we've seen Bo take huge punishment from Galata, from Holyfield and stuff. Clearly he can take a punch. Clearly he can come back. But, uh, you know, a, as you mentioned, at this time, referees, it takes very, very little in the amateur game to, to standing eight count, to issue a standing eight count or to kind of break it up. I think the referee was a little excessive here, I think the stoppage is is also a little excessive. Is it is it way out of the norm for for where amateur boxing was? No, it's not. Like no. I, I'm not in any way saying it's a scandal. Like that's a kind of ridiculous claim. Bo could have just as easily fought that aggressive too, and taking those chances to land huge shots. I think the referee would have done the same thing. But but he took them, and you know the tide was definitely turning towards. Lewis was trying to make a statement. He achieved that. You wish it would have had a chance to go on a little bit longer because, of course, we don't get to see them ever as pros again. But that's what we have is this little, as you say, like a bridged microcosm of what it might have been. And and again, I think that it challenges just watching it, taking five, ten minutes, whatever, to watch it, not even ten minutes, five minutes to watch it, challenges what the general narrative is over what happened, that Lennox kicked his ass. All you see is the RSC, you know, the referee stop contest or the TK, the amateur version of the TKO. Um, and so you don't get to see what actually happened. And there have been numerous occasions where there were amateur fights where a dude was stopped and he didn't even look hurt at all. Like not, like not even remotely. It was just that he took a shot. It made him pause for a moment. And the ref goes, whoa, 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 whoa. And yeah, you know, you, you do want to see him erring on the side of caution for sure. But there is there's fucking levels to it here, bro, you know, and so, yeah, I agree that I think that uh, this stoppage was in line with what you would normally see in amateur fights during this period. So it's not an atrocity or anything like that, but it definitely you wish it would have gone a little bit longer, just a little bit. However, one thing pointed out by the commentating team, and I do agree with and did take note of myself is that. Riddick Bowe didn't seem to be protesting too hard and neither were his team. So. No, Bo did not seem to enjoy fighting Lennox Lewis. That's like, when you rewatch it, he does not have the demeanor. Like I need to prove something here. And, and it's interesting. I don't, I don't know why I, I have that immediate inference from watching him, but I not, I was not surprised when he dumps the guard, dumps the WBC title in the garbage and doesn't want to fight him. It, it always seemed a fair appraisal that he was ducking him. And I think it legitimately is a stain on, on his career, on his legacy, because if he had shown that now he, now also 1995, he did sign a deal to fight Lennox Lewis. Finally, uh, unfortunately, Oliver McCall came out of nowhere with that half court shot of a, of a right hand to knock Lewis out. So there, there it went. And it's it's a really interesting era because we've talked about it before, but I mean, there's so many parallels with what we've seen with this current crop of excellent fighters where we've had a handful of the fights that we were hoping to see. But I think when we look back, we're going to, in a similar way to the 90s, 
dwell a little more on the fights we didn't get than the ones we did because the politics of there's the a couple big ones yeah and and not just them happening but when they should have happened it's it's frustrating you know like I don't want to see in the news that Andy Ruiz is going to fight Deontay Wilder because how many fights does Wilder have left? I want to see Joshua. <laughs> like, how long has it been? This would be such a thrilling fight. It would make so much money for people. And I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, there are so many <laughs> between Tyson Fury, Anthony Joshua, uh, Deontay Wilder, and I'm not assigning blame to anybody in particular. I'm simply saying all of these entities. Uh, between all of them together, there are so many like extenuating fucking asterisks and all this shit that you you can't really firmly expect any particular fight to happen, which really sucks. And but I mean, again, going back to this '90s era, this is a pretty big missed opportunity. And I think that um, obviously, when you say some some fighter ducked another fighter, the knee jerk reaction, especially from a lot of fans and a lot of pundit type writers and whatnot, to go, "Whoa, you're calling that guy? You's, you're saying he's afraid? You're, you're saying he's afraid? Okay, you think fighters are afraid? Nah, dude. You can say that a fighter avoided another fighter and it has nothing to do with fear. It has nothing to do with like, ooh, I don't want to fight him. No, it's no, a practical it's decision. It's a pain in the ass. You don't yeah. want to face this pain in the ass and not get paid what perhaps you want to get paid for it, right or wrong. Well, and I yeah. mean, I, I, and I, I, we obviously I mean, agree we want fighters to get as much money as possible for as little punishment as possible. But you also have to, you know, call it what it is. Yeah, and every every big fight here is it's not a playoff game for these guys. It's the Super Bowl. And very likely if you lose and you lose bad, you know, you're badly damaged or you're embarrassed or your stock plummets as a result, there's no coming back from it. Whereas what you could do sort of a la Tyson out of jail is fight a bunch of nobodies, sell the fight with publicity and make 20, 25 million dollars per fight. And really there's no economic penalty for doing it like if you have a bum of the month club but you're still knocking them out in sort of memorable ways and and giving the media what it wants in terms of red meat and great quotes and that sort of stuff uh, you could you know, fight francis and ganu yeah right right and, and yeah and tyson fury is doing the same thing and why not because mayweather's legacy for the next crop the next generation of people is you know, it doesn't matter ultimately how exciting you are in the ring. It's how exciting you are before you get in the ring in order to make that money and get those pay-per-views bought. If And if you can keep doing it, if you're compelling enough personality or brand to do it, it almost becomes irrelevant, the quality of what's being served. And I mean, this is borne out across capitalism, you know, like I don't need to have a better hamburger. I just have to have a celebrity advertising it and you're going to eat the hamburger. Even if the person across the street's hamburger yeah, it's, isn't It's really better. not a cynical, crazy take. It's just no. realistic. No. And, and if you can get away with it from, from a marketing position, good for you. Like, I mean, you deserve credit for it. If you're talking about, did Riddick Bo look at Lennox Lewis and think, I really want to cement my legacy by avenging what happened in the Olympics, and I'm going to yeah. beat him because I really then feel Then he would I have done it. Then he would have done it. And he would have just said, I don't care what the money is. I it, It's worth it to me because of my pride or, or whatever. Just the same with, same with Mayweather fighting Pacquiao early on when it was first raised. I think he just went, I think he's juiced. I don't want any part. Like, look what he's doing to the same opponents that I'm fighting. It's, I'll just wait. I can wait. I'm, the money is going to be there. I can handle what I'm doing professionally. But you kind of wish it happened when it happened from a purist standpoint. From a marketing standpoint, it was brilliant what he did. So I think I think Bo here, Bo, Bo, nobody, I would never cast any aspersions about him being afraid. He fought very, very tough guys throughout his career, a lot of them. And, you know, having a rematch with Galata after what happened in the first fight, Jesus. Um, I think Lennox... Lennox's resume bears out somebody who never ducked anybody. I think Lennox firmly believed he was the best fighter in the world during his entire career and wanted to fight any, any I think he was desperate to fight Tyson um, at any point. I think after they sparred, apparently Tyson got the best of him in the first round and then Lewis really took over. And I think he just thought, I figured out how to deal with that. And, and so, 
yeah, when I look at Lennox's career, he will always have the asterisk of these freakish two losses, but he had the guts to immediately demand rematches with them and annihilate. Exactly. That says a lot about his character too, that he lost and he lost badly and immediately sought out, or perhaps in one case, not immediately, but pretty soon after that sought out a rematch and a way to make it right. Um, and, and I think that that's, so you kind of alluded to it er, earlier and just to kind of put a couple of details on it about the whole trash can thing and why it didn't happen, uh, earlier on. So as professionals, right. Uh, Lennox Lewis, uh, is with Kelly Maloney and kind of running a little bit of the British circuit. Um, and I mean, you know, it's, it is what it is. I'm not trying to be rude. You mentioned the the Frank Bruno fight. That was kind of a necessary step in the progression of his career. I think Frank Bruno was a 1980s British heavyweight darling that a lot of people liked, but knew had serious pro deficiencies. And so Lennox Lewis defeating him, you know, uh, in the kind of Gary Mason level fighters was important. Um, no disrespect to them, of course, but in order to prove that he was world-class level, which he did, but he was on a slightly different path than Riddick Bowe. Riddick Bowe's path was a little bit more accelerated, a little bit more uh, in terms of being put in front of a U.S. audience. You know, it, he was just kind of thrust out there a little bit m- more quickly. And so by the time he defeated Evander Holyfield in the first fight, which was a fantastic, you know, first fight of the fantastic trilogy, one of the best trilogies, probably the greatest heavyweight trilogy from an action standpoint, uh, you know, that obviously put Riddick Bowe in the driver's seat. When you're the heavyweight champion, you can demand a lot more things. You can, you know, make different kinds of deals, et cetera. And like we were just talking about, we want fighters to make as much money as possible, having taken the the smallest amount of punishment as possible. That's what we generally want for fighters. But you also see two different mindsets from both Lennox Lewis's heavyweight champion and Riddick Bowe were with Riddick Bowe and his manager Rock Newman who was just a total fucking clown I mean if I'm being honest you know I I don't really have any other way he was a he was a rascal he was a, not a not a good dude um and he was constantly meddling in Riddick Bowe's career as he should have been as a manager but he was over meddlesome doing way too much drawing attention to himself and becoming part of the story and so when Riddick Bowe becomes heavyweight champion and Lennox Lewis obviously uh, is kind of heading in that direction. They set up this somewhat unofficial tournament uh, with the, gosh, I'd have to look. I think it was the WBC. And so uh, Razor Ruddock, Lennox Lewis fight on October, uh, I think it's October 31st of 1992, I want to say. Yeah, and- Lennox Lewis scores like a almost like a freak knockout if you watch the fight it's it's really strange like not to say that it wasn't coming because Ruddick was hurt for sure in that moment but the way that Lewis throws like almost kind of a a jab in the middle of his combination and the jab catches Ruddick just right and just torques his head and knocks him almost clean out and it's a really strange knockout. And it was unexpected at the time, too, that it would end quite like that. You know, a lot of people thought Ruddock was going to give Lewis a whole lot of problems. And that was not the case whatsoever. And so uh, that, I mean, I think the suggestion then is that, well, Lennox looks so so crazy that Bo didn't want to face him. No, it was just Rock Newman was looking for the most massive portion of the pie that he could get for this whole tournament deal. And yeah, that was basically the result of instead of just bowing out or doing something, they fucking threw a press conference, Rock Newman and Riddick Bowe, where they took a, a belt that was a ceremonial belt, not even the real WBC belt that they had somehow gotten from a Vander Holyfield, and they threw it in an actual trash can for the media and then waited for the media to leave and then got the trash can back. Or I'm sorry, got, got the belt out of the trash can. They're so stupid. No, and and it's important to say that this is pre-internet. So in terms of any fighter that was making their name in the UK, basically the in the US, nobody knew anything about them unless you were avidly following like UK months later in the ring, right? Yeah, month. Well, or yeah, or the UK magazines that would come out like if you could get them here. Yeah, yeah, because they would come out like I mean they they came out in Canada and I'd see them and you'd be like. Herbie Hyde, he's undefeated. Is he the greatest heavyweight in the world? I was like, who the hell is Herbie Hyde? 
I, I never seen yeah, he him. He lost two months ago, you guys. What are you talking yeah. about? <laughs> but but you're just sort of like, who who is this guy? He looks fantastic in the profile that they have about him. But I'm like, who has he fought? He hasn't fought any Americans. He hasn't fought any, like, not that there were many great Canadian heavyweights, but Ruddick was, was really good. Obviously, his performance against Tyson was unexpected how how competitive that was gave gave tyson a lot of problems um before the referee <laughs> played an interesting role um but i think that that's a really important aspect about the the where the politics of the sport were at this time is that Bo was a much more known quantity in the u.s who garnered infinitely more attention than lennox and Lennox, Lennox made that choice. Like Lennox, it's not like Lennox only fought in the UK. I think his second fight was was in Atlantic City. Like he he had the odd fight, but he was not making much of an effort to ingratiate himself to American audiences to maximize his earning power. Bo Bo was that. Like Bo was identified, e even though he'd lost to Lewis. That kind of became secondary to just he's from Brownsville. He's gonna be the next kind of great heavyweight. Then like. The Eddie Futch stuff, like bringing him up to say, I've never worked with anybody like this. And we go, whoa, if he's better than Joe Frazier and he's six foot five and, and all of this, maybe like, let's forget the amateurs. Like we, you know, Tyson was terrible in the amateurs. Didn't make any difference to his professional success. Maybe Bo is going to be exactly the same. So I think that that's a really important angle is pre-internet. There was very, very, very little awareness of UK fighters, regardless of how well they were faring, and they were not taken seriously. There was a very dismissive attitude about any kind of achievement or accomplishments that were strictly based in the UK. And and we've and I've had this conversation. I mean, because I'm a fucking nerd who has this kind of conversation recently on the internet. But I mean, we I had this conversation recently about the WBO title. Because there's question, of course, now they call it the four belt era. And a lot of people ask, well, then when, when did that begin? And there is no hard answer. There, uh, there honestly is not. Because, because there's not. Like what, in the early 1990s, like the other day I posted a photo of Ray Mercer and I referred to him as a heavyweight contender. And a whole bunch of people jumped on my ass and said, hey, he was a champion. And I'm like, with all due respect, no, he was not. You know, are, are you fucking referring to Francesco Damiani as a champion? No. So shut up. That's who he won the fucking title from. You know what I'm saying? Like there was a lineal champion at the time. And at the time, the WBO belt was not, you know, nobody was going, yeah, if you want to be real champion, you need to get oh, that WBO belt. Nobody said that. And so that was kind of my point. And to your point and why I bring that up was because a lot of these fighters who were, uh, they were good on an international level, but they often fought um, strictly in the UK a lot of them were going after the WBO titles at the time. Chris Eubank, Nigel Benn, uh, Steve Collins. I mean, of course, that's a, a convenient trio to look at because they all fought each other. But nonetheless, the, this was almost across the board, a lot of European fighters. And so, like you were saying, many British fighters just weren't known. You had to read about them, and it was later. Yeah, and I'm trying to, I'm just trying to, as you're talking, track, like, Bo won the the WBO title off Herbie Hyde in 95. And I was like, where did Hyde get it? And it's Michael Bent. He got it off Michael Bent, who I'm pretty sure took it off Tommy Morrison. Did Morrison get it off Foreman? Or where I'm trying to I'm trying to remember. I don't even remember. Well, see, we don't even we're not even tracking it because it's not it's not considered important to the lineage. Like there was an entire actual heavyweight title lineage apart from the WBO belt. And so that's why, you know, it was kind of like when, uh, when other, you can look at it like this, the fighter makes the belt. I think that that's a far easier way to just kind of, you know, simplify it. The fighter makes the belt. And it wasn't until a major fighter or a major heavyweight champion in this case came along that held the WBO belt for an extended period of time to make it seem like it was, you know, anything. And even then it's like, there is no date. There's no date. No, and nobody took it, especially at that time. No, nobody considered it a legitimate title. Like, I mean, no, nobody looked at Tommy Morris was like, he's the heavyweight champion of the world with his WBO title or, or Herbie. Hot. Like, yeah, it was just an academic kind of, kind of thing at the time. I think yeah. it's a lot more seriously now, but I mean, 
It's an interesting counterfactual. So, I mean, if Oliver McCall in 95, yeah, no, sorry. Oliver McCall was in September of 94. If that fight, if, if Lewis had beat him, then the fight would have been, the fight was signed with Bo for 95, for the beginning of 95. And if I'm looking right. at the trash can incident was 93 or shortly, and maybe shortly after uh, Lewis Ruddock in late 92. But the point is, yeah, it was a couple of years earlier and then they're supposed to fight again. And yeah. yeah, that one's kind of on Lennox, unfortunately. Yeah, I think it really is. Cause I mean, Bo is going to, in 95, he's going to destroy her behind the Jorge Luis Gonzalez fight. And then he's going to wrap up the trilogy with Holyfield, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And um, and then we get into the territory of Galata and the tailspin of his career, even though it's crazy because I think he did go on to fight until 2008 fighting, I mean, just fucking nobodies, like tomato cans. Yeah, um, shameful California commission allowing him to fight fucking, oh, God. Yeah. No, I mean, he, he was... But it was abundantly clear, even in the first Galata fight, certainly in the second, that he had taken some serious neurological damage from, from just his speech. Yeah. That is not the same guy talking. And and yeah, it's pretty bad. I don't think you see that with Lewis, even though I think Lewis, you could be a worse commentator than Lennox Lewis, but you'd really have to work at it because <laughs> he is profoundly awful with with his insights like i i think you could have a blindfold and probably get more more from what what is happening in front of you i i don't know why he's so terrible but i really really struggle with him when he's calling fights um even though george is bad but at least he's an animated presence that's fun yeah there's just not a lot to him when he's talking is the problem he's there's not a lot of animation you know no and he that's gets the issue and he gets stuff wrong too. Someone gets knocked out with a left hook. Oh, what a great right uppercut. And they're like, uh, actually, Lennox, it looked like it was a left hook. Oh, and he watches the replay. Okay, yeah. And then just moves on. Like it's it's just uncomfortable. You feel bad for him, and then you quite dislike he's getting paid to do it, and somebody qualified is not doing it. But anyway, um, you know, the reign of Bo is is a very, very small window when he's at his best. And I think he really just had that one great fight in him with Evander to realize his potential to go, wow, this guy is extraordinary. Sort of his Buster Douglas moment, even though he wasn't an underachiever like Douglas's whole career leading up to it. Um, Bo, there were a lot of expectations and suddenly it was like, wow, he could be better than we thought. And, and we thought he could be pretty damn good. And then he began to put on considerable amounts of weight in between fights. His focus was fucked up. Probably some mental health stuff is contributing to a lot of problems with his family life. I think he went, I think he abducted his wife or his wife and yeah. kids. Bad stuff. Like he goes in a dark direction. Then he enlists in the army for yeah, very yeah, even period. worse. I mean, the Marines, and it was for like a day, like two days or something. You know, I mean, yeah. Yeah, it didn't yeah, basic training does not seem like what would be the most fun for him to participate in. Um, but I mean, so I don't really want to talk about the 95 version of him because I think I think Lennox would destroy him at he that was period. going downhill, yeah. And and you know, you brought up Eddie Futch, and I think a lot of a lot of the issue there is uh and I'm not blaming Futch. But even Futch himself said that Riddick sparred too much, that he did way too much sparring. And we've seen that from other heavyweights too, and especially James Tony at heavyweight where he hated to train, loved to spar. And, you know, I get it, you know, because I, I was not, not saying I was a gym rat, but I was in the gym just long enough to know that, yeah, getting in there, adrenaline, fun, you know, getting kind of hit, et cetera, and then doing the bags in comparison, doing all the other shit, super boring super fucking boring after you've done it a few times you know after you've done it a few times it's like damn this is some really repetitive shit so i get it but that's something we saw from riddick bow is apparently according to eddie futch he did a ton of sparring in the gym and that'll that'll do it yeah it'll do it and and i mean on the other side of the ledger where lennox is going after the oliver mccall loss is i mean fights fight some tune-ups fight with justin fortune Oof. That is hard to hard to watch because uh, if you ever go to Freddie Roach's gym, Justin Fortune is always there, and you're just thinking this is 
this is a little guy. I mean, he, Justin Fortune is my size. He's 5'10", 200 pounds, and you're just, or 210 or something. Um, boy, if you ever see Lennox Lewis, even now where he's pushing 60, he is different species. He's a big guy. Yeah, he's a huge, huge guy. Uh, I love the Lennox Lewis fight against Tommy Morrison. I thought that's where I started to really take him seriously as um, just somebody that could deal with a roided to the gills Morrison and just humiliate him with just how outclassed he was. It was impressive. Not that I'm saying that yeah. Tommy Morrison is the greatest heavyweight ever, but he's a very dangerous heavyweight. Ray Mercer is after that. Then he avenges Oliver McCall in the famous crying fight. Akinwande um, knocks out Andrew Galata like it's nothing. I mean, Galata. Yeah. It was when it, when Lennox felt threatened. That's when he performed. Like when he felt like, you know, oh shit, the walls are closing in. He lashed out and that says something about him. Yeah. And, and the way he could do it too. Like when he wanted to dunk on people, you know, like posterize them with a knockout yeah, like I, i'm going home early tonight oh shit yeah. yeah i mean i mean even in 98 when he fought shannon briggs and briggs put on a very spirited performance i think briggs won way more fans losing that fight than he ever had from winning any of his fights because he took a horrible beating from lewis he rocked him in the first round caught him with the left hook but, I mean, that's the side of Lewis. Or anybody says, oh, he didn't have a chin. He takes a huge shot from a massive puncher like Briggs. Also, a steroid cheat, as we know. I don't know that he was then, but I, yeah. um, but takes a massive shot. And there's a point at the end of that, I think, when he finally stops him, where Lewis takes, I think, two or three shots. Might just be two, but they're big shots. It's almost like the guy who used to smoke that wonderful Nicaraguan fighter who beat oh, Mayorga. Yeah. Yeah. Mayorga. It's almost like he like, okay, hit me, takes the shots and you see him put kind of look at him a certain way. And then I think it was a right, left, right. And just floors Briggs, but almost the gesture of taking the shot willingly in order to just, I'll take your thing. And then you can see how, how mine feel was just such a boss move. And I that shit will fuck with a fighter's head. I, it was it, would yeah, be. It was really big. And then, I mean, part of the fucked up thing about Lewis is, I think if he had done better against Evander Holyfield, I think if he'd been able to talk about another steroid cheat, if he'd been able to dispense with him in an iconic way, uh, and this is like Evander Holyfield, I believe, after the Bobby Chez stuff, where he looked so fucking terrible. I mean, it's after the Tyson fights too, but like Evander had some fights where he looked really bad. I'm not sure where the James Tony fight figures into that. I think it's in the early 2000s when yeah. he fights Tony. But you just thought there's no way that Evander can survive Lewis if he had this much trouble against Bo in all three fights. But, and I'm not saying that Lennox didn't win both of them, but you have a draw in the first one and then kind of a, you know, 116, 112 you know, fairly dominant unanimous victory in the second fight, even though the judging still seems off in that second one because of, I think, the the Don King connection. But it it was just not what we were hoping. They they are they're fights that were very uninspired, that definitely didn't win him any fans. When there was a you know a real sense if Lennox can just fucking annihilate Holyfield, we know we have our guy. We know we have like the yeah. heavyweight champion. And and in the fight after it, Michael Grant, who I think at the time was undefeated, I think a lot of people, were, I, I always make the comparison with Deontay Wilder and Michael Grant. I think Michael Grant in today's era would have been a version of Deontay Wilder. They're about the same size. He's a big puncher. He looked great in magazines at the time. I remember watching him in magazines when I was a kid thinking like, "There's no, he's even bigger than Bo and, and Yeah, Lewis. they're making him bigger now. Holy shit. Yeah, exactly. It was like he was six eight and stuff, and and he knocked out everybody. He sort of had a Tyson, like an early Tyson record, and Lewis just fucking annihilated him and did it like it was a walk in the park. He had the right demeanor after he'd done it. It wasn't celebrating. It was, of course, I would do this to him. Where you go, oh yeah, that's the Lennox I've yeah. been looking. He was like, how dare you think that he was the next me? Like, yes. how dare you? Yeah, and, and look and, what and I'm gonna do. Look what I did to him. You kidding me? Yeah. Yeah, it was it was amazing. And then, you know, he beats David Tua again. 
not the most inspired performance in terms of it being exciting, like dominant performance, but took zero chances. He definitely recognized. There was like, I want to say it was either round two or round three. And it was, this was like basically the only moment in the fight. Tua loads up and catches him with a left hook right at the end of the round. And Lennox kind of like barely wobbles to his corner. But then after that, he was like, no, I'm not fucking around. <laughs> Let's just jab the fuck out of this guy for the rest of the night. So that's yeah, mostly what he did. Yeah, you're five foot nine with like Rocky Marciano's reach. I'm six five with an 84 inch reach. You shouldn't be able to get to me ever, 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 ever. Yeah, so after that shot, he was like, nah, no, nah, no more. That's it. And, and and I mean, to be fair, he does the same thing with Tyson, a completely washed up Mike Tyson. He is terrified of him. He is clearly extraordinarily risk averse in making a statement in that fight until you're great imitation of Emmanuel Stewart petitioning what are you doing it's it's one of the it's honestly one of the best like just Emmanuel Stewart in general has had some great between rounds like you know bitching at his fighter sessions it's awesome the fuck are you doing you know that type of shit it's like oh buddy and it's and it's not a Teddy Atlas like I want to have a soundbite kind of thing. It's he is induced almost to have a heart attack or like a brain aneurysm from how angry he is at his guy. Like you have a dead man in front of you and you're giving him a chance. What the fuck are you doing? It's it's a yeah. It's one of the great Teddy. great moments. Teddy, uh, you've been knighted. You're here to be knighted by the Queen of England tomorrow. It's your coronation. Just saying random shit. He'll just say anything. Like, anything. <laughs> anything. Remember 9-11. Yeah. Remember. Yeah, Teddy, it's April. I don't care. <laughs> it's 9-11 in my heart every day. <laughs> this is your 9-11. <laughs> Do it for Staten Island. I'm not from Staten Island. I've never yeah, been to Staten Island. It doesn't Teddy, matter. Minnesota. What the yeah. fuck? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, just to conclude this, I mean, uh, you know, let's get to the, the point here. If they fight when Bo is at his absolute best, the, the version that showed up in the first Holyfield fight, who's fucking incredible, gives us one of the great rounds ever, regardless of weight, in that 10th round against Holyfield, against the best version of Lewis, where, I mean, what is the best version of Lewis, in your view? What what I, I mean, probably, I would imagine it was probably... Um, that's a good question. I would I would say it's probably a tie between even though I know it wasn't like an exciting fight, his performance in the first fight against Holyfield, who at the time was, you know, had some bad performances, but was still dangerous. We knew uh, was a good performance against the top fighter. And then also, like you said, like the like the Galata performance would have been a good or like Franz Bota, both of those guys top 10 at the time and just destroyed them type of thing. Um you know, I, but I, I don't know. That's really tough because in that first fight against Holyfield, Riddick Bow showed things that I think Lennox, uh, Lennox Lewis largely didn't really show in his career, like a kind of toughness and resilience that I know he did from fight to fight, but I'm talking about from round to round. Like we never really saw Lennox Lewis get his fucking ass kicked until like his last fight and, and then come back. Like for the most part, you know, it was like he got blasted. And then he came back the next fight and, you know, figured it out, which is great. But Bo showed a different, like, you know, at that peak showed a, a slightly different level of resilience and desire. And I think that might have come out on top against Lennox, even though I think Lennox is better all time. Yeah, I mean, I, as you mentioned, resume, this is not a difficult debate or even discussion. Um, I would argue... 2001 version of Lennox after losing to Raman in the rematch, that guy who came in sort of like, that's not a bad call too. That's true. Cause that guy reminds me a lot of Roy Jones against Montel Griffin in there. He was mad. Yeah. He was mad. And the mad version was like, this is the most exciting fighter in the world. Like this guy could beat anybody in the world. And it's, he's just disgusting. disgusting. And it was totally set up and loud. Yeah, it was shocking. Like when Lewis wanted it, I mean, he, you know, he goes by the name The Lion. And a lot of times you're like, well, that was not a lion performance in in the fights that you hope for something. But when he did, it was like, yeah, a fucking lion has, has woken up. And yeah, there's something about that fight. Like we're saying with the Roy Jones fight. I remember 
everything about Roy Jones in terms of why he was so difficult to market is embodied with what he said after beating Montel Griffin in like the most iconic knockout of his career up to that point was, I didn't want to have to do this. And you're like, why not? Because <laughs> this was fucking amazing against a guy that you had a lot of trouble with in the first one. And, and we saw it time and time again, too, uh, against d- uh, various opponents where he'd like they'd be on the ropes and blah, blah, blah. And the ref, for some reason, is not stopping it. And he's sitting there gesturing like, dude, this come on, stop the fight. And then yeah. they wouldn't. Then he'd go, fine, bat, bat, you know, and then that was it, you know, and it was like he'd knock him out. And it was like, dude, if you could have done that fucking four round, just do that. What are you talking about? Yeah. But that was also a big part of why, you know, it was it was a tough sell. Even though in retrospect, Roy is fairly beloved among the hardcore. He well, never course. sold well, ever. No, he was never, never marketable. Like, what what are his great pay-per-view fights throughout his didn't career? Have one. Was, no, he didn't. And and unequivocally in his prime, which is the same as Floyd's prime, more or less, no, no debate was ever launched about who was who was the best pound for pound in their day, let alone all time. And that sort of thing. And and as Max Kellerman pointed out, I think quite rightly, he was a two to one favorite to beat Mike Tyson after after he beat John Ruiz to win that heavyweight title. Like at that time where his stock was and the perception of where he was has changed so demonstrably since as a result of the, the horrible knockouts we've seen him suffer um, subsequent to to narrowly eking out that victory against um what's his name that he had the trilogy with ultimately tarver yeah tarver right so that first fight he gutted it out very much like lennox lewis did against klitschko similar kind of fight where they were both really tested really struggling either not in the best shape or just not the best night that they had but they gutted it out and then he just went back to the well with that and it just oh so brutal to watch that but I think the Lennox that was that motivated against Rom and his pride was so injured. And again, you'd kind of hope that this is how Bo felt as a result of the Olympics with Lennox is I want to avenge it so that there's no discussion about who's the best. Lennox had that fire throughout his career. That's a defining characteristic of his legacy is if he lost, he never bitched about it. He didn't make excuses. I mean, when he was in South Africa and knocked out, he didn't take the necessary precautions about the the training at the right altitude and stuff, how that can affect your your oxygen and your stamina. That's real stuff. Like go visit Mexico City and like their first day there, you're kind of like, am I suffering a health condition? What's wrong with me? It happens to me every time I go there because the altitude is so uh, powerful and what it does to your system if you're not acclimated to it. He never made any excuses, just give me the rematch. And then there, there it is exactly what can happen. I made, I made a mistake, but who's the better fighter? Don't kid yourself. I'm leagues above this kind of guy. I don't think that Bo had that. I think he had it in that one fight to fight a great all-time fighter. He gutted out some difficult periods in that fight and um, and left left us with one of the great fights in heavyweight history. But did we ever see anything close to that again? We saw some of that determination to not be overwhelmed by Galata, but again, is anybody calling Galata uh, a Hall of Fame fighter? No, very good fighter, elite fighter in his time, but but you know, Hall of Fame, not even close. So it's it's and what did Lennox Lewis do to Galata? <laughs> like just exactly. fucking destroy. So yeah. I don't know. I feel like a Lennox who was motivated to just pour it on. We never really saw Bo get demolished by anybody i mean galata is as close as we saw and that was a very diminished version of Bo. but i find it hard to imagine how Bo could have contended with the size of lewis lewis is going to be way bigger than he was back in the olympics and could he take the kind of punishment that that lewis would unleash if he was inclined to fight that way um, do you think that Lewis would have fought in a, in a more conservative way against Bo or more aggressive, kind of like he did in the Olympics? Yeah, that's a good question, too. I guess that kind of might determine it. Um, <laughs> I would imagine that in the pros, especially if he had Manny Stewart with him, if he had Emmanuel Stewart with him, he'd probably, Stewart would probably tell him to, you know, box him for a few rounds and not come out aggressive. But I don't know. Perhaps he also would have uh, perceived a threat and said, you need to get this guy out of here. Like, let's not have a long night. Let's 
Let's get him out. And if that's the case, I mean, I don't see a whole lot of heavyweights in history with that version of Lennox Lewis uh, with sanding that. One of the biggest right hands in history. Fantastic yeah. jab. Uh, and, and an underrated left hook, too. So, I mean, yeah. I could definitely see the fight going both ways. But I definitely also cannot discount the intangibles that Riddick Bo showed at his best. Small slice, but during that period. Yeah, you wonder you wonder if Lewis made one mistake, could Bo capitalize to such a degree that it could turn turn the tide of the fight? Definitely had the ability to do it. Was was Lennox would Lennox show up in condition? Absolutely. Would would Lennox be motivated? Like he dem he's already demonstrated that he would fight to win in the Olympic version. And this is, I think, a much more confident version of Lennox with with Stewart in his corner. With the size, um, as as you say, trusting a right hand that anybody he lands it clean on is basically on their back. I don't know. I and I also just I'm not convinced that Bo Bo showed a lot of guts fighting a smaller guy in Holyfield. True. Uh, when he's fighting a guy that's more or less the same size in Galata, six four, pretty sturdy, two twenty five, two thirty. I don't remember his exact weight, but Galata was thick. Um, and threw a lot of punches. Bo did not look happy to be in there at all. He looked distressed. He looked frustrated. Uh, so a really perfectly calibrated Bo in condition like he was for that first Holyfield fight, I still think is just going to get too discouraged. And I think he's shown with what his legacy is that he's not the most mentally tough guy that we've that, that we've seen at that elite level. So twist in your arm before we get out of here. What's your what's your final pick here? I I think I think Lewis is able to break him down and probably score probably score a mid a mid-range knockout because I think I think if Bo gets frustrated and starts taking chances, you 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 make one mistake you're out with Lewis, with that version of Lewis, who's going in for the kill. If they're at their best, if that's what we're talking about, the, the second ramen fight, Lewis, he is, he is trying to land a huge left hook or a huge right hand. And I, I think Bo, Bo had decent defense, but having more reach where he can land it from the outside, even against Bo, I, I just think Lennox brings too much to the table to contend with it, especially with what we saw with, with Galata, like how punching him combination and fighting him to win caused him trouble. I, I don't see a scenario where Bo wins that fight unless he gets lucky landing a counter. And I don't, I don't know if he lands it. I know my, my camera's glitching for a second there, but whatever, it's all right. We'll close it out without much issue, without much issue. But you know what? You twist my arm a little bit hard here. I mean, I think I guess the most logical thing to do is probably to go with Lennox Lewis. Um, even though I, like I said, it's really tough to go against the intangibles and toughness, the desire and whatnot, even shown, even just in a small, you know, one or two fights, whatever, for Riddick Bowe, I think that you just look at the body of work and you see that Lennox Lewis is a fighter who is more likely to figure things out when things go tough. And just in general, he's more likely to figure stuff out. So I'd probably go with Lennox Lewis. I'm not sure if he'd stop him because Bo is tough. Bo's got a very, very good chin, but I think that you could probably rely on Lennox Lewis to to win the fight in the in the pro ranks, you know. Yeah, and I mean, you, you know, if if Lennox is able to go in there against Tyson when they're teenagers and deal with that version of Tyson, that elusive, that aggressive, and he said he'd never find anything like that, he'd never seen anything like that, and by the second round, figure it out that that is something we saw with Lennox throughout his career is he could he could download information and adjust and he had the tools to adjust to a b game a c game a d game if he needed to and he and he didn't really need to because he was just so big so strong and patient uh it, i just i just think if they fight 10 times lewis probably wins eight eight out eight, eight of them maybe nine and uh, you know, other than you know, I think the most unsung heavyweight of that era, 
I, I don't know who beats that version of Lewis. You know, I'm speaking obviously to Bobby Chez, who in 1996 fought Holyfield. <laughs> Nobody can solve this crossword puzzle or this this Menza challenge, I think, other than our boy Chez. Well, well, and, and ultimately, this is the this is the quintessential blame Bobby situation because he's the one who allowed all this to happen. You know, you know what you have to do is just let Chez go into the ring in in a stolen car with like a blood alcohol level two point three at a minimum, and then we see what Lewis can do against him. No question, that's how you got to do it. You got to set these rules up ahead of time. Everything can be negotiated. Why not? Why not? And, uh, you know, I mean, I don't I don't know what they're fighting. They can fight for the men's a towel so that Lennox can wear that for the rest of his life. Perfect. His wife Perfect. would appreciate it. Championship for the bathrobe. For the men's a bathrobe. Come on. Yep. Well, Brent, dude, I appreciate it, man. It's a good uh, Lennox Lewis Riddick Bow discussion. Wish the fight would have happened, but the fact that it didn't gave us the opportunity to talk about the fact that it didn't. <laughs> no, I appreciate it, man. So it was a good time. Blame Bobby. Hashtag blame Bobby. Everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. We really appreciate it. Apologize for the last minute video glitch, but whatever. Not a big deal. And if you did listen in via the podcast apps or however it is you listen in, please give us a rating, et cetera. Leave us a little comment. We appreciate that. And if you watched on YouTube, hello, and thank you so much. Subscribe, please, and leave a comment. As far as social media goes, the, both the Knuckles and Gloves podcast and all of us collectively are on a social media, like for instance, Twitter. My buddy Bryn is on Twitter as Brynicio, B-R-I-N-I-C-I-O. Me, Patrick Connor, I'm there as Patrick M. Connor. Say hi. We'll say hi back. Bryn, we'll talk soon, bro. Cool, man. All right, everybody, take it easy.